0: you know no matter how successful you are no matter how great your life is no matter how great your relationships are uh, at some point whatever you have in your life is going to cause you to suffer you know i have a i have a paragraph somewhere in there where i say like you know People without families suffer because they have no family. People with families suffer because (laughs) of their families. People with no money suffer because they have no money. People with money suffer because of their money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever your life is, there will be associated problems with whatever you have.
1: What is going on, my friends? Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast. Yours truly, Ryan Calicherry. Man, oh man, it's a long time coming, long time coming, but I am so excited to be back here. I really miss doing this. I miss being in your ear every single Monday, but I'm telling you, I'm back, and uh, you know, the podcast, to me, it's just gone through a new evolution, and I'm so excited that this new evolution, to me, it just speaks to me. Um, To me, I'm more passionate about this idea and I'm having way more fun with this one than I did for the last one. Not to say I didn't have fun doing this one or the last um, edition of the podcast, but this one to me is just that much better and a way to make things a little bit better as well too. I'm always coming up with new ideas, as you know, just to improve the podcast, improve my delivery. And uh, for this one, I want to improve how I get you guys to rate and review the show. So as you know, every single episode I get you guys to, um, or ask you to rate and review the show, but a lot of you don't do it, and I don't blame you. Of course I don't blame you. I mean, I'm asking you to, you know, take some time out of your day, whether you're on the subway, at the gym, in the car, listening while you're at work, Uh, maybe you're working at home or, you know, doing the laundry or whatever, I'm asking you to go online and rate and review the show. It's tough when I'm not giving you any incentive to do anything. So here's what I'm going to do now. If you rate and review the show, so if you go on iTunes, you rate and review the show, and if you take a screen capture, you save that picture, you send it to me by email, at me.com. What I'm going to do is I'm going to enter you into a draw every single quarter, and that draw is going to be for a a kick-ass prize, something like an iWatch, or a MacBook Pro, or a MacBook Air, or a new iPhone, or something like that. I don't know. If you guys have ideas, send it to me by email, and uh, I'll definitely take it into consideration. But... I want to make sure that I'm providing some value to you. So if you rate and review the show, you take a picture of it, you send it to me by email, I'm going to enter you into this draw where every single quarter I'm going to pick somebody and you're going to get that prize. And the cool thing about that though is that you don't have to do this obviously every single quarter. Once you do it once, you're in the draw forever and I'm just going to continue to pick people. So just get your entry in and you'll be entered into that draw forever moving forward. And I'm going to make sure I keep bringing awesome prizes to you just to say thank you for rating and reviewing the show. So start today, you guys. Start today, rate and review the show, and uh, send me the picture by email, and I'll enter you into the draw. Pretty simple. So before we get going, I am in New York City right now for the launch of the podcast. Very excited to be back in New York. It's one of my most favorite cities, and it's the city where I actually had the energy, the inspiration for Cut the Crap Podcast. So to me, it's just great being back here for the relaunch, and uh, I'm going to be here for the next two weeks. So if anyone wants to grab a coffee or something, feel free to reach out to me on social media, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, email, let me know and uh, I'd be happy to uh, grab a coffee with some of you guys if I got the time. In any case, let's crack right into this one. It's been too long. So this week, (laughs) we're starting off with one with a controversial title, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life. This one's by Mark Manson. I had a really good time talking to Mark, had him on the show, we had a great discussion, we broke down the golden nuggets together, and uh, he was one of my first guests to take on this new format, and after talking to him, I just knew we had a hit, I knew we had a hit, and I knew that this was the renewed focus that I was looking for. So without further ado, here's Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life, I'll catch you guys back here at the end of the interview, enjoy. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. Really appreciate it. It's good to be here, Ryan. Before we crack into it, man, maybe tell me a little bit about you know who you are and how you came up for the idea for the book because it's it's a different type of book, man. It's it's
0: I've never read anything like it before. Sure. Um, so I, I've been blogging and writing, kind of in the personal development world for eight or nine years now, and a couple of years ago, I just I felt really strongly that somebody needed to write a book uh arguing the merits of pain <laughs> and nice. suffering and um you know why it's important why we should embrace it and um you know why we sh- we shouldn't try to necessarily be happy or positive all the time mm-hmm. and um uh, and so that that's basically where where the book began and, and in the course of kind of investigating that side of things, it, you know, it took me into different subjects and, um, you know, it was a, it was about a two year process overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was really happy with the, the result and my goal was really to basically craft a, like a self-help book that not only like said things that people, um, uh, maybe hadn't thought of before, but Mm -hmm. actually said the opposite of what people had run into in the past or like what the conventional wisdom was.
1: You know, when we look at the first golden nugget, I start to look at, you know, how we are when we're young. You know, when we're younger, I remember my parents, my teachers, you know, they're all telling me, my coaches, you know, Ryan, just give it your best. Just try it. See if you like it. If you don't like it, you don't have to do it, whether it's swimming, volleyball, basketball, martial arts, whatever it is. Then as we get older, we're told... You know, try harder, strive for greatness, you know, do whatever you have to do to win. But that kind of spits in the face of what you're saying in the book. In the book, you're saying don't try. And that's golden nugget number one don't try. Why are you advocating that people don't try? What's the value behind that? Maybe explain that a little bit more. Sure.
0: Um, so, try is a funny word, and it's actually a lot more complex than I think. Most people give it credit for. I think I think we could probably break try down into like two separate definitions. Um, one is kind of what you were saying. It's like you know you're in a baseball game as a kid and your coach is like, "Hey, Ryan, just just go out there and try to hit the ball," you know. And and I think that definition of try is when you are doing something, um, when you are you're in the process of doing something and, you, and you're giving it your best effort. Um, and that's great. And that's fine. There's another definition of try, though, which uh, is a more abstract try. So it's like, I'm trying to get my career together, or I'm trying to fix my relationships, or I'm trying to be a happier, nicer person. Mm. These are very abstract things. You can't really you can't point to it. There's no single action that you can Point to it and be like, "Oh yeah, that's what trying to be happy looks like," mm. uh, because it looks looks different for everybody. And the point I bring up in the in the first chapter is that when we have these big abstract tries, often the more effort we put into them, the more self defeating it becomes. You know, so like a person, a person who is happy doesn't have to try to be happy; right. they they already are. You know, a person who has good relationships doesn't have to try to have great relationships because they already have them. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you, particularly when you get into the realm of like emotions um, you know, if you try to be less angry, Mm -hmm. you're actually going to just piss yourself off even more. Um, If you try to be less anxious, you actually create more anxiety for yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you get kind of this like weird backwards thing going uh, that I think a lot of people kind of fall into that trap. Mm -hmm. And, um, I've got a whole story in there about bukowski and and what a fuck up he was and and how he like <laughs> he like achieved he achieved this like very what most people would call a very successful writing career, but mm-hmm. he was just a total mess in his personal life and um and he wrote on his on his tombstone mm-hmm. it says don't don't try, mm-hmm. um, which is you know. I take to mean, you know, it's 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 the old Yoda thing. It's like do do or do not. There is no try. That's right. So there's two things there. Number one, where you were mentioning,
1: you know, talking about, you know, I'm trying not to be anxious. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to get out of debt. Well, you're thinking about anxiety too much. You're thinking about debt too much. Or well, especially when it comes to emotions, I'm trying not to be sad. I'm trying to be happier. And you know, I don't necessarily see that as being all that effective you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, like, what are you actually doing? Like, what are you doing? Stop trying. And your, your Yoda reference is is on point there as well, too. But, you know, so what do you get? What kind of advice do you give to see somebody who's listening right now? And they're like, Oh, shit, that's me right now. I say that all the time. I'm trying to be happier. I'm trying to be more productive. What advice do you give that person who's over trying,
0: I guess? Well, you get back to that first definition, because I, you know, what I talk about later in the book is that it's about doing, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it a lot of times what we fall into is is the word try becomes kind of an excuse for ourselves mm-hmm. you know it's it's that guy who's like laying on the couch eating doritos saying oh, i'm trying to get a new job you know but <laughs> it's like
1: he's, really he's, trying
0: he's on season 3 of house of cards you know um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's really like it's just about doing mm-hmm. um it's it's about action and so um I think it's it's advantageous to tr- to think in terms of trying as little as possible. Mm. It's it's you should think in terms of doing, and the I mean, and the reason people use the word try is because, and this is a topic later in the book, and maybe we'll talk about it later in this episode. I don't know, but uh, you know, the reason people kind of try to wiggle out of you know, just doing something mm-hmm. is they're afraid of failure, they're yeah. afraid of screwing up, embarrassing themselves, and so. They wiggle out of it by saying, "Oh well, I was I was trying to mm-hmm. hit the baseball, yeah, and it's, you know, and it's like,
2: it's no, true. you
0: didn't, you yeah. didn't hit it, and that's okay. <laughs> like that's okay. Yeah, but let's be honest, you didn't hit it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. No, that's exactly right. Now,
1: you know, I think that that kind of flows into, uh, I think that flows into the next point actually. You know, the second takeaway that I really had, and it's. It, it's, it's a little bit of that, but it's a little bit about this idea of happiness, too, right? We're, we're all trying to be happy. We're all, you know, that movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. Ever since then, everyone really likes to coin that term, The Pursuit of Happiness. You know, we're doing whatever we can to be happy, and we're doing whatever we can to get to where we want to get in life. And, you know, part of that, you know, we're working our asses off to avoid suffering, whether it's, you know, missing that ball or, or breaking that relationship. But you're saying, again, something that's counterintuitive, in Golden Nugget number two, you're saying embrace suffering, so maybe mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about, about that and, and telling me about embracing suffering because personally, I don't want to embrace suffering. I don't want to do that. So why <laughs> should we do that?
0: <laughs> Nobody wants to, but it, it's it's kind of like eating your veggies. Like it's <laughs> right. Just, you got to do it. You have to. Um, you, there's no choice. Uh, yeah, so the argument I make in chapter two of the book is that there's no such thing as a life that doesn't suck sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, no matter how successful you are, no matter how great your life is, no matter how great your relationships are, uh, at some point, whatever you have in your life is going to cause you to suffering. You know, I have a I have a paragraph somewhere in there where I say like, you know, people without families suffer because they have no family. People with families suffer because <laughs> of right. their families. People with no money suffer because they have no money. People with money suffer because of their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty much suffering is where like. Whatever your life is, there will be associated problems with whatever you have. Mm -hmm. And um, I think most people define happiness as getting rid of those problems, Mm -hmm. finding a way to have a problem-free life. Um, What I argue is that a good life is simply having good problems, Um, finding the suffering that feels valuable to you, Mm -hmm. Uh, because the only difference between, say – you know, something horrible and something like really meaningful is, uh, the value that's attached to it. You know, Mm -hmm. like I, there's a example later in the book where I talk about how, you know, if somebody puts a gun to your head and makes you run, Mm -hmm. run a marathon, like you're going to be pretty miserable. But Mm -hmm. if you train for a marathon, invite your friends and family out to cheer you on, you know, set this huge goal and go accomplish it. Um, it can be the most one of the one of like a a fantastic moment in their life so Mm -hmm. it's what the running itself is not the issue the Mm -hmm. issue is the meaning and the context we put around it the the suffering itself is going to be there no matter what it's Mm -hmm. it's the meaning that we ascribe to the suffering
1: that to me is probably one of the biggest takeaways I, i love this book for for you know my entrepreneurs out there who are listening who. You know, for them, you know, they like to use the word "try" a lot. You know, I'm trying to get my sales up. I'm trying to get my marketing going. I'm trying to get my social media. I'm trying to get that podcast going. And this whole idea of embracing suffering and the meaning you give to suffering, and it's something I've mentioned on the podcast before too. It's, you know, whenever I I, I face setbacks in life, and everybody does. You like, you're not going to avoid it. Just like you're saying, like, everyone has suffering in their life. Like, you're not going to be able to get away from it. I have this little philosophy that I always say where it's, um, you know, it's not a setback; it's a set up. So whenever mm-hmm. whenever shit goes awry for me and, and stuff goes wrong in my life i look at that and i'm like listen like it's a setback you know i got i got something that i'm going through here but there's got to be something in here for me to learn from there's got to be something here that sets up something else whether it's it's you know me losing a client or you know something wrong with my health or or something happened with a relationship whatever it is there's there's got to be a silver lining in there and it's not that i'm trying to avoid it it's like it's inevitable It's going to happen. But what kind of meaning am I giving to it? When shit goes down and it goes bad, you know, the meaning that I give to that is it's not a setback. It's a setup. And that's kind of the philosophy I'm trying to drill into people's heads through the podcast because, man, I'm telling you, like a lot of people, as soon as they hit any bit of suffering or any bit of uh, resistance – things come crashing down for some people. And I'm telling you, like it it breaks people down. It breaks their businesses, breaks their relationships. You know, they're, they're putting on sweatpants and eating ice cream. And she's like, (laughs) it's over, man. My life's (laughs) over. It's like, no, it's not like, it's just a part of life. So uh, I I love that. And happiness comes as a result of overcoming suffering. And that was a a little quote I had that I ripped out of the book that I just, I I truly loved. Yeah. uh, I think it's a good reminder for all of us, man.
0: And I, and I would, I would tack on to the end of that, that, you know, a huge, uh, a huge litmus test for knowing that you're doing like what you should be doing is, is that finding suffering that you actually kind of like get this sick pleasure out of. You know, like I, I there are tons of people in my life who I know who who have started blogs or they've tried to write a book and, like, they just they pull their hair out and they're like, "This is awful. I hate this." Mm-hmm. And and, you know predictably they don't finish a book like mm-hmm. i i enjoy it like i get a sick pleasure <laughs> out of like deleting the same paragraph eight different times and rewriting it like there's some part of me that kind of like gets gets kind of like is satisfied with that and that's why i i ended up a writer you know it's one of the big reasons why and you know there's other things yeah. like i i've i years ago i i tried out podcasting i got like three episodes in i'm like man you have to t- <laughs> You have to talk a lot. This is hard. <laughs> and now I got you on
1: podcast. So hey. I know. <laughs>
0: now I now I now I do podcast yeah. all the time.
1: <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Well, there's one thing that we're learning about Mark Manson, everybody, is that he's a sick bastard. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there. See, that's one thing I don't like. I hate writing, man. Like, it just that's one piece to me where it's like, I don't find pleasure in the suffering. That's one thing that I did. Like I wrote yeah. wrote, wrote for Uh different magazines and and different publications. And I'm telling you, man, it was brutal. The podcasting thing was just a way better medium, like way more fun. But in the end, it's despite that suffering, I was still able to get a lot out of it. So it was a means to an end. This whole idea of being special. You know, we grow up and all our lives are being told that we're special, whether it's from our parents or teachers or, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, whatever, and that, you know, we can achieve great things in life. But in the book, you're telling us we're not special. Why is it important for us to realize that we are not special?
0: Yeah, we're all, like, if if you actually want to be, like, really kind of objective and scientific about it, mm-hmm. when you look at all of us, um, we're all pretty mediocre, just statistically speaking, at almost everything we do. Mm-hmm. And um, I think this is an important fact to remember because I think, actually, a lot of the unnecessary uh pain and 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 problems that come in people's lives stem from the fact that they think that there's something special or unique about them mm. um we're all incredibly similar in that we're all like i mean i have a very a lot of people would call it a pessimistic view of humanity like i generally <laughs> think we're all pieces of shit who like have no idea what we're doing have no – like don't know anything, <laughs> think we're right about everything. Like that's generally yeah. my and – I, and I include myself in yeah. this category. Um, and it's funny because I actually – like I think that's a very liberating way to think mm. about people because it forces you to humble yourself. Interesting. It, it forces you to question all of your assumptions it, and it forces you – you know, a lot of people – they get really upset because they're like, oh well, you know, I was a kid. I always thought I was going to be like this huge, like million billionaire guy who had like <laughs> Ferraris and stuff. And you know, they get to be like thirty or forty, and that didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, and they go in the crisis mode, and it's like, well, dude, you're not special. <laughs> like, it's why did you? Come on, <laughs> like, come to terms with it, man. <laughs> let's be real. Let's be real. Like, it's it's first of all, you don't need a Ferrari and a billion dollars yeah. to to have an important and meaningful life, mm-hmm. and two, like. Like that's just statistically not going to happen for pretty much everybody. So, like, why is that your metric of success? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like, let's let's just focus on like some basic, important, meaningful stuff in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I'm not saying that people shouldn't here 's that that word again, try to be successful um i'm not saying that people shouldn't like strive to do the best mm-hmm. they can they can do and and to be the best people they can be um all i'm saying is that we have to be realistic about like you know how how important is what we're doing actually mm-hmm. you know oh, yeah. like how how important is that Ferrari or that mansion or mm-hmm. you know whatever, whatever we're like totally you know, obsessing about.
1: It's not even that, man. But it's like, again, like for my entrepreneurs out there, like when I was coming up and and I started my own business, man, did I think I was, I was, I was everything, man. I was king shit. I was that guy who knew everything about marketing. You know, I'm, you know, 20 years old and writing for the Globe and Mail, writing for Wall Street Journal. And I'm like, oh man, I got it all figured out. And I had this, this constant anxiety in myself because I was like, oh my God, I have to know everything. And I'm special. I thought of myself as being special. I had this ego built up. And yep. telling you, the moment, I don't, I don't remember when it was. You know what? Now that I'm actually thinking about it, I had this mentor, Chet Holmes. And when I started talking to somebody who knew way more than me, like just leaps and bounds above me, had all the answers that I just had no idea, answers that I thought I knew that he actually knew the real answer to, because he's like, well, here's 10 examples where I actually put this into practice. And oh, by the way, yours is all theory. All of a sudden, I was like, oh my God, I'm not that special. And all yep. of a sudden, it was like, that's actually kind of nice. And it was kind of liberating. So, whenever I would go into sales meetings or I was in the boardroom, I could be honest and I could say, I actually don't know the answer to that. I didn't yep. have to feel like I was special. I just came to the terms with the fact that, man, I'm, I'm a normal guy. I can be a normal guy. I don't have to be, you know, this guy who has all the answers. I don't have to be, you know, this, this marketing guru that I wanted to be. And coming to terms with that, man, I tell you, just anxiety lowered. I became more comfortable in my own skin, talking, like, just get rid of that. But the problem is, a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people in sales, especially, they think they have to have all the answers. They think that they know everything and that you know we're special. I, I'm the top sales guy, or I should be the top marketing guy. It's like, no man. Like, take it easy, relax. <laughs> like, realize that you are not special. You're just like anybody else. And while you might be very good, and we're not saying don't 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 strive to be the best that you can possibly be, but just realize that you know what, even though you can be the best you possibly can be. You're still not special. There's still people out there who are just as good as you.
0: Well, and the irony of what you just said, too, about your story is that you probably learned more and became more successful because you adopted that humility, oh, because you were amazing. willing to go into that room and mean like, hey, I'm probably the guy who knows the least in here. So I'm just going to shut up and listen like mm-hmm. that actually probably benefited you much more than being like, you that's know, a, hey. that's a good point. You That's know, a good I, point, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, you're right, though. You're 100% right because and it was funny, too. You know, it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's the exact same thing, man. Like I didn't read a lot of books. Like when, when I was first coming up and fresh out of university or whatever, I think I had it all figured out. How much was I reading? Nothing. You know, who was I talking to? What mentors did I have? Nobody. I was believing everything in my own head. And when people would come to me and they'd be like, what do you think about this? Or, or I think you're wrong. You know, they would come to me and be like, Ryan, I think you're wrong. I would get my back up. And, oh man, like I was just so arrogant. And, you know, if I would be that way today, I, I mean, you know, I, I would consider myself moderately successful. You know, I'm, I'm happy. I live in a good house. You know, I drive a nice car and life's good. I got no complaints. So you know if if I hadn't changed that mentality, I mean, I probably wouldn't have people that I'd be working with today. I wouldn't have the relationships I do. I wouldn't have the success stories I do now.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: We're talking about a little bit about how you know we we, we have the answers and you know we know everything. But in life, you know, like that's just the way we are. We try our absolute best, you know we want to make all the correct decisions, and then for the most part, you know, like myself, I thought I was right all the time. But now you're saying in Golden Nugget number Four, we're wrong about everything. <laughs> God damn it, man. You're taking me on this roller coaster. So, now, what do you mean by that, man? We're wrong about everything.
0: I like to think of it so, knowledge, and I mean, just to get a little bit philosophical for a second, just bear with me. <laughs> if you think about just the progress in human history, it's like we don't have any clue what we're doing. And then slowly, each generation, we figure out we become a little bit less wrong through like just trial and error like we just figure out like you know oh the planets revolve around the sun not the other way around and it's like there's there's we're constantly it's not that we're filling up like the whole glass in terms of like knowledge we're not like reaching 100 percent knowledge Mm -hmm. we're just like becoming slightly less clueless as time goes on and i think that happens at a personal level as well like if i think about you know, the things that I thought were true when I was a teenager embarrassed me when I was in my 20s. <laughs> and, the, and the things that I thought were true in my 20s embarrassed me now in my 30s. Yeah, And I'm pretty sure that, you know, in 10 years, the things that I think are true now will embarrass me to yeah. a certain degree then. And so we're always in this, but we, we we, and we all know, we all feel that on a certain level, mm-hmm. but we never actually like, Apply that to our decision making. We never like actually bring that into our day to day and like remind ourselves, like, wait, yeah. I'm actually totally clueless. Yeah. I, I I need to remember <laughs> that like most of my assumptions that I have today are probably going to be wrong, mm-hmm. and so you have to leave and, and and you have to leave yourself open to to those possibilities. Most of us we walk around. Every day, and, and again, this is what we were just talking about. It's proportional how special we think we are. Mm-hmm. We're, we're very certain of whatever our assumptions are, and um, and we cling to them very tightly, and we we don't want to be proven wrong. And you know, a certain degree of that's natural, but I think it's really important for us to remember that you know everything we think and believe, to a certain extent, is going to be proven incorrect one day. It might be a you know hundreds of years from now, but. At some point, we're going to be proven wrong, and um, and to not get so caught up in uh in all the stuff that that we believe.
1: Again, it's it's another great point, and and to your point earlier, where you say you know, you, you you look at you know us as human beings, and and you say you kind of have this pessimistic view of humanity, where you know we think that we have it all figured out and what have you. But man, it's true. Like, just go in the boardroom, go go in in in, a, in, the, in an office, and see how often people are so sure of themselves. They're so sure of themselves. And then they can easily be disproved with just a little bit of data or a little bit of experience. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, everything that I thought to be true is no longer true. And I think that's why when I was younger, I surrounded myself with a lot of mentors because, man, I was wrong a lot of the times. And I'm telling you, it hurts the ego, man. It hurts the ego. to think that you walk in. You've done all this research. All this, like, is this, this reading, and, and I, I think I got to figure it out. I finally got to figure it out. You go into a presentation, and somebody who's sixty years old, seven years old, who's you know been in your shoes so long ago, and they look at you and they're like, "Nah, man, that's not right at all." And you're like, "What are you talking about? Look at point A, B, and C." And then they go ahead and they just shut you down in a second with some of their experience, and you're like, "Oh my god!" But the one thing, the reason why I really like this point here was it's a reality check, and it's a reality check for a lot of folks who. um you know, maybe rely too much on assumptions. And I think as, as, you know, us as human beings, we rely a lot on assumptions. And um, no matter how smart people are, we make a lot of, we we assume a lot. And so coming to terms with the fact that we're wrong about everything can help prime us to um, perhaps give it a little bit more effort. Uh, Look for data, look for experiences, look for mentors. And I'm talking on, on behalf of people who, you know, maybe they're a little younger, or maybe they're in business right now. And and uh, you know, they're looking for something tangible to take away is in terms of, well, how can I get better at my job or how can I get better in my role? Assume you're wrong about everything and do your absolute best to try and find the truth, that constant never-ending search for truth. Um, whether it's surrounding yourself with mentors, um, listening to authors and subject matter experts like Mark, um, listening to podcasts like this one, like seek out truth, but come to the realization that or have that philosophy that you're wrong about everything. And I think if you come to it with that, you're going to help yourself and you're going to set yourself up for success in the future. You nailed it. <laughs> but, hey, beautiful. They, they, could, it. they could skip that chapter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Right.
1: That's awesome. All right. So, you know what? I, I, I've been thinking about this last chapter and I was thinking about putting this at the, the top because i to end up on this depressing note, but we got to talk about this one <laughs> because it's important. I think I know you, you know where I'm going with this one, but none of us listening today none of us like to think about death and again like I said I even questioned bringing this up because I don't want to end off on a depressing note but for golden nugget number five the last one I took away here was that we all die now why did you feel it was necessary to put that in the book
0: well it's funny you said you wanted to start the show with this because (laughs) actually in the first in the first draft of the book um, I started the book with this chapter and yeah, And my editor was immediately like, "Uh, no. <laughs> We're
1: going to lose him, Mark. We're going to lose him." Yeah, he told <laughs> yeah.
0: he told me he's like, "Dude, if you want to have a chapter on death, he's like, you got to earn that. Like you can't yeah. just nice. uh, you know, when if some random person's going to pick up your book, yeah. you, you can't just hit them with that yeah. out of the gate." <laughs> uh, which was actually really good advice. But yeah. um uh, you know, to a certain degree, the the book the book in, you know, the encompasses or it, it, the book tries to encompass like all of the different experiences of life. And I think it's impossible to to have a book like that without having a section on death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it, it's, it's literally probably the only – other than being born, it's the only thing that we all experience. Yep. Uh, and so – it's all, and then it's also a subject that just people avoid, and they they're very uncomfortable with. And mm-hmm. I also think it's it's just very important to talk about. It's been it's been important in my life to think about, and um, and I I think it's it has a lot of like psychological benefits to yeah. focus on it and think about. Um, the way the way I talk about death. So you know, the the book at its heart is really about kind of what we were talking about earlier is like what what is the meaning that we're choosing to find for the problems in our lives and I, I talk a lot of, throughout the book, I talk a lot about values mm-hmm. and the argument I make at the end of the book is I say, you know, the really the only way to know what your values are and to know what is really worth it in terms of like what's wor- worth spending your time on, what's worth suffering for uh, is thinking about your own death, is thinking about Hey, if I died like a year from now, mm-hmm. you know would I still be doing this? Like would I want to be remembered by you know this business I'm trying to put together? Um, mm-hmm. And like that's the you start asking questions like that. It takes you into some pretty deep and uncomfortable places fairly quickly. Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's the point right there where you're saying when you start thinking about those kind of questions, where your mind goes. I think it goes different for every single person. For me, you know, I was introduced to this idea quite a while ago. And reading your book, it was a good reminder to the fact that, you know, like every single day you get up and, and what are you doing? Like, is, is that what you want to be remembered for? Is that what you want to do for the rest of your life? And it's not only that, but the fact that you come to terms with the fact that you are going to die, that your family, your friends, you know, you're all going to die one day. I feel like it makes us better human beings. Because we all take each other for granted, we take these small things for granted. Like, for crying out loud, like, you know, you, you wake up in the morning, you're on a pattern. You just rush to the car, you go to work, you do your thing at work, you rush back home. But it's like, for crying out loud, did you take a minute just to like, did you smell the grass this morning? Fuck, that smells great. Like, <laughs> find pleasure in the small things in life, man. It's going to make life just that much richer. So that's one thing improves the quality of your life because you're going to take appreciation from the smaller things by realizing that hey, I'm going to die, so. Maybe I should open up my eyes a little bit more and embrace more of life. That's one. But two, it's it's about your purpose in life, the legacy that you want to lead. And um, I was in a sales meeting yesterday, actually, where, where um, the individual I was talking to, he asked one of his um, his younger protégés, he, he, he posed the question to him, and he said, you know, what's your legacy going to be? You know, do you want to do this for your, for the rest of your life? And he was having a conversation with him because he was having shitty performance. And he was just like, listen, man, what's your legacy? Like, in this organization, do you want to be someone of, of, of you know... Somebody of character or do you want to die somebody that, you know, didn't really achieve anything in his life? And it was like, oh, shit, I didn't, never thought about that. So coming to terms with the fact that we're all going to die, man, like I think it's a powerful tool that human beings can use to either extract more joy out of life or force them to make decisions, um, hard decisions that maybe they wouldn't make
0: um, without that kind of stimulus. Yeah, I mean, the the, the legacy thing is is a huge question. And I, and I mentioned it a little bit in the book and, mm. um, and it was a big thing for me as well. You know, so like I, I got my start. Um, I was just doing like kind of classic internet marketing, direct marketing, um, doing a lot of info products. Um, and I, w- I was working in the dating device space mm. and it was great. I mean, I started it when I was 23, 24, um, started making some decent money by, you know, after a couple of years. And so I, you know, I was in my twenties, like, Making money online, traveling around, partying. Like it was great. A few more years went by and I started asking myself, you know, I started to get close to 30. I started asking myself, I'm like, you know, do I want to be like 45? And like mm-hmm. still like writing like here's where to take a girl on a first date like you know <laughs> it's, it's right. like, I was like I'm like you know do I want do I want to have like kids growing up saying like daddy show me your yeah. business and you know and it's like
1: Ooh, yikes
0: yeah and I'm like um so you know I it really made me think mm. and you know I, by that time too I'd been I'd start getting burnt out but it, it was a big question for me it was like okay if I'm going to pivot into another career mm-hmm. um, or another another business, like, what is something, you know, what can I pivot into that I'm, I'm going to be proud of not only now, but I'm going to be proud of, like, 20 years from now, totally. you know? Something that when I'm when I'm old and gray, you know, I could tell my grandkids about and they'll be like, wow, mm-hmm. grandpa was pretty cool. Like, you know, it, so that was something that, that, like, really factored into my decision making at that point. And, and honestly, it was one of the Best things I ever did. Kidding.
1: I love it, man. I love it. This is this is a great conversation, man. I'm telling you the one word that everybody who's read this book has come to me and and this is the the common word that I hear, but it's a wake up call. Is yeah. book this book was a wake up call, man. Like you offer a lot of counterintuitive advice to people who, you know, life's just kind of uh on a treadmill and they're just kind of moving and so You know, one individual was telling me they're—I'm stealing this example from them. I'm not that smart, but they're like, you know, life's on a treadmill, and all of a sudden it's like he just pulled the cord and the treadmill stopped because he's just adding all this counterintuitive advice and thoughts that I never thought about, but it's making me question, and so it's making me look at my life a little bit differently. And if a book can do that for you, then for crying out loud, you gotta pick up the book, "The Subtle (laughs) Art of Not Giving a Fuck: A Counterintuitive Approach to Living a Good Life." My man, Mark Manson. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, my friend
0: it's been good being here. I appreciate it.
1: So anybody who wants to get in touch with you or uh, find out more information, how do they go about doing that?
0: So, uh, my website, markmanson.net is the primary place. I'm posting articles all the time and, uh, have a bunch of cool content there. And then obviously the book is available pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. So anywhere,
1: anywhere, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Great book. And, uh, You know, uh, I might be uh, giving this one out as a as a gift to a few people who I know need to read it, need a little wake up call. But, uh, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show, Mark. Really appreciate it.
0: Thanks, man. It's my pleasure.
1: All right. There we have it, my friends, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, a counterintuitive approach to living a good life with Mark Manson. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, the first of many in this renewed approach. I love it. It just makes editing so much easier. It makes the conversations that much more fun. I'm not sitting in a room talking to myself all the time. It's just good to interact with the authors. If you have any suggestions for books, what I've been doing is I've been just going to Amazon and looking at the the Amazon, you know, top ten, top fifty lists, and just contacting those authors. If you guys have books that you like And you want me to contact an author To have a conversation with them And bring them on the show Just please let me know Don't hesitate And uh, we'll get them on the show And we'll, we'll get this thing going Please don't forget as well, get your entry in for the free MacBook Pro, the iPhone, the iWatch, whatever it is I'm deciding to give away this quarter. I haven't decided yet, but uh, I'll figure it out in the next coming weeks. But get your entry in, rate and review the show, take a screen capture of it, send it to me by email, and I'll enter you into the draw, and we'll just keep that draw going every single quarter for uh, that new prize. So uh, thank you in advance to everybody who does go ahead and um, they uh, they rate and review the show. By the way, if you've already provided a ranking for the show, then all you have to do is just take a screen capture and send it to me by email just that easy all right my friends thank you so much for joining me on another episode of cut the crap podcast it's just good to be back here and uh thank you so much for all of your patience and uh, i'll be here for a long time now but um like i said it's just good to be back but until next week my friends i hope you have a fantastic productive week and i'll catch you back here next week when i have a brand new book brand new golden nuggets and my interview with the author of that book Until then, my friends, you guys take care. Love you guys.
2: Whenever there's an argument between your heart and your mind, follow your heart. There are things that the heart can understand and feel that the mind cannot relate to. There are things that you feel, that you know in your heart of hearts, that's not logical, it's not practical, it's not realistic, but there's something in you that says, I can do this. If you do what is easy, your life will be hard. But if you do what is hard, your life will be easy. People that are hungry are uncommon people. A hungry, have a vision of themselves when they leave here, leaving a legacy and not liabilities. How do you get to that next level? You must learn to dominate. You cannot compete. Domination, not competition. Anybody can do this, folks. Anybody can do this. This is not about a college degree. This is about massive amounts of action. Whatever you think you're worth, if you're not sure of your own value, your own goals, and what you want, the world will never reward you of what you want, your value, and your goals. People that are hungry are willing to do the things today others won't do in order to have the thing tomorrow others won't have. People that are hungry are relentless. People that are hungry are unstoppable. People that are hungry refuse to give up. I'm willing to make this happen. No excuse is acceptable. I'm gonna do whatever it takes, I can do it. If anybody's ever done it at any point in time in history, then what's possible for one, is possible for me, and I'm gonna do it. It's my time. It's possible. It's necessary. It's It's me. It's It's hard. It's It's worth it. it. I don't know what you want to do. Seemed like yesterday when I was the new kid on the block. Now at 68. I'm the old time. My mother, I remember the first home I bought her. It's home she saw. She didn't know I had planned to get that home for her. I purchased the home and I said, Mama, I think I know the people who live there. You do? I said, Yes, ma'am. I said, I'm going to stop in and say hello. And I drove there and I opened the door. And she got out And Mama at that time around 76. She held my arm and we were walking toward the house. And we got to the door. And I, I couldn't hold it anymore. I reached in my pocket. I took the key out and I put it in the door. This is your home. Mama, I bought this to you. I pushed the door open. She stuck her head in the door. She said, anybody home? I said, no, Mama. Nobody's here. This is yours. 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 If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for it, to give up your time, your peace, and your sleep for it, if all that you dream and scheme is about it, and life seems useless and worthless without it and if you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it and lose all your terror of the opposition for it and if you simply go after that thing that you want with all of your capacity, strength and sagacity, faith, hope and confidence and stern pertinacity, with the help of God, you'll get it.